So the Sun Belt Conference eats itself alive a little bit this past week. JMU, one of the two unbeaten teams, still remaining as the week began, and now in the category with everyone else as teams with a loss. Coastal Carolina also falling to ODU. JMU going down at Georgia Southern. Noah was there. He saw it happen. A lot of mistakes, a lot of unfortunate circumstances if you're a JMU fan leading to a close loss on the road to Georgia Southern. But the bottom line is JMU is now 5-1, and one, heading into a homecoming matchup with Marshall. Game's been sold out for a long time now, expecting maybe attendance record broken at uh, Bridgeport Stadium this week. No, I mean, we, we went out, we listened to Kurt Sinetic talk a couple times over the past few days. We saw a little bit of practice, everything. Does it seem like JMU's ready to bounce back from you know a tough, extremely disappointing loss just in the way that it happened? Yeah, I think so. I mean, anytime you lose, it's not a good feeling in their mouth. And and Reggie Brown kind of said it the best, you know, losing comes to the sport, and you just got to bounce back and make it better. And, I mean, JMU, when they have lost in the past, you know, five, six years, they haven't lost again. It's a game they, they haven't lost back-to-back since 2015. So that just speaks about this program. And when they do lose, they bounce back pretty big. Yeah, it's – um. we should note that they've been playing, you know, mostly FCS opponents in those years Still. where, you know, they haven't lost – Back-to-back games in season. There was a back-to-back loss, you know, when um, you know the playoffs ended, and then the season opener the next year was at West Virginia a loss. Um, so, if you count that, but in season, Jamie has not lost back-to-back games since 2015 when they fell to Richmond, I believe, uh, College Game Day Day, and then the next week lost to William and Mary. Uh, two things that didn't happen a whole lot afterwards. <laughs> From there, Jamie's program was pretty dominant uh, in the CAA, um, and especially against those in-state teams in the CAA. Um, now it's a new set of rivals, though. Those were, you know, probably the closest things Jamie had to rivals in the CAA. It's a new set of rivals in the Sun Belt Conference, and I think one of those ones that they've looked forward to for a long time is Marshall, who, which, which comes to town. This is probably, you know, the first game – most JMU fans had circled on their schedule when they saw it come out. They're like, this is the home game I have to get to. Um, you see a lot of <clears throat> former players and everything talking about they're coming back this week. Before we dive too heavily into that one, though, let's just quickly go back through the loss of Georgia Southern, the turnovers, the blocked punt, the whole bunch of things that just don't really happen to JMU very often, all piled up, and still JMU leads that game with you know less than two minutes to go. Yeah. Um, just take me through. You were there. I was not. Just take me through how it happened. I mean, yeah, Jamie jumped out with an early 14 nothing lead. Like, uh, it looked like Jamie was going to dominate the game. I mean, they at one point the yardage was like 200 and something to 20. And it was like, all right, this is this is something that's going to happen. And really what happened was at the beginning of the game, Georgia Southern, first play, do a screen, gets 11 yards. After that, the next 11 plays go for a total of 11, uh, like 10 yards. So it's like, all right, they, they, found, they figured it out, but eventually – Georgia Southern figured out they couldn't run the ball, so they just stopped running the ball. Yeah, and it was, threw a million times. Yeah, it, it, it was a wedding weekend for me, so I was like kind of watching on my phone here and there and everything. And I was watching when when Centeno went in for a touchdown to make it fourteen nothing early in the game, and they didn't they weren't even close to it. Like wasn't even anybody in the picture to t- tackle him on just a simple RPO type of thing. I thought, well, yeah, they're gonna roll again. Like <laughs> these two teams are completely over, completely off. Not a uh, even matchup. And then, you know, like you said, Georgia Southern starts throwing the ball a little bit. But other teams have tried to throw the ball 
against JMU and not had that kind of success. I mean, this has been, you know, kind of well-documented, but, you know, quickly, just tell me, what was the difference in Georgia Southern's passing game and, say, you know, a Middle Tennessee or any other team that wanted to throw the ball against JMU and couldn't do it like that? Uh, their offensive line's really good. So there's no pressure on the quarterback, which basically gave Cal Ventrice all day to throw, and he made him pay. Yeah. Um, it, it must be pretty darn good, too, considering JMU's defensive line. Still, you know, a little bit banged up, not, you know – not the defensive line. Maybe they started the season with the guys that were available on Saturday. But that said, <clears throat> they dominated the week before. They dominated basically every week since, or the entire season. You know, <clears throat> is 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 Georgia Southern's offensive line just that much better than the ones that they faced so far this year? I think so. I mean, they've only given up two sacks the entire year. So, I mean, that says something, especially when you play it at Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. Um and then, you know another big thing is you know, despite those not getting giving up those sacks, Kyle Van Treese had thrown you know a significant number of interceptions heading into that game, which he didn't really do on Saturday. It was you know flipping the script. You know Todd Santeo had his worst game at JMU as far as interceptions go. Um, he still put through for a ton of yards and you know really had a pretty solid game overall. Um, but the turnovers being that lopsided, you know JMU it's you know. It's hard to lose when you put up almost 600 yards of total offense, but it's also hard to win when you turn the ball over that many times and have a punt block for a touchdown, um, which probably explains how. After all that happened, it was still a very close game, and Jamie, you had a chance to win it <clears throat> late, and you really just needed to make one stop on fourth down to, to win that game. Yeah, they, they had Georgia Southern in the middle of the field, fourth and ten, and Georgia Southern did what they did the entire game, which was throw a ten-yard basically slant. and It basically worked the entire game. <clears throat> That's really what kept them rolling down the field. But, yeah, one stop would have ended it because that was with, like, a minute 30 left in the game. All they would have had to do is get one first down. The game's over. Um, but what can you do Yeah. For J- if you're JMU? I mean, but other than that, I mean, it says something of how well their offense was playing. Even though they had four turnovers and a blocked punt, they were in the game at the end. Yeah. Which, if you say that in most games, you're going to get blown out most likely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean – it kind of just goes to show what we've seen like throughout the year is even when Jamie's not playing their absolute best, they're still, you know, very competitive in this conference. And, you know, if they do bring their A game, they're going to be really hard to beat for almost any team in this league. <clears throat> Since we're recording a little bit later in the week, because basketball media day stuff happening early on this week, didn't have much time. We'll flip the page on this one a little bit quickly, because I'm sure a lot of my, a lot of our listeners probably don't even want to hear too much more about Georgia Southern. Uh, everybody's turning their focus to Marshall. I guess transitioning, though, we'll talk about what does Marshall do that's so much different than Georgia Southern? Like, we, we've talked, I guess, privately and off air about how we think this is a solid, a good matchup for JMU that what Marshall doesn't do well kind of plays right in JMU's hands. But I'll let you try to kind of explain that to me and the listeners um, why we think that's the case. Yeah, I mean, they run the ball extremely well. I mean, Kahan Lairborn is their starting running back right now with Machine Ali still out, and he's run for over 100 in every game. He's, like, in the top 10 in rushing yards per game in the NCAA. And the one thing they can't do is throw the ball well. And when JMU enters with the number one rushing defense in the country and the number 11, I think, overall total defense, that plays right in their favor. I mean, if you can't throw the ball well against JMU, it's going to be a long day because JMU doesn't give up rushing yards like that. Yeah, and – it's, it's interesting because you look at Henry Columbi, who 
has been their starting quarterback for the majority of the year. Uh, we can get into their quarterback situation in a little bit, but his completion percentage is incredible. But they're not moving the ball <laughs> by throwing it, no. which is which is an interesting thing to look at. <clears throat> are they just, are they just dumping it off? Like, why can they run the ball but aren't gaining yardage and? Short passing situations or just throwing the ball at all. I mean, that's what it seems like. I mean, they just they base their team on the run, and if that gets shut down, you're in trouble. And I mean, they've won games with it, of course. You know, Henry Columbia led the win over Notre Dame at Notre Dame, big time win, probably the biggest win of the year for the Sun Belt Conference. And then they've kind of lost the Bowling Green, so it's kind of an <laughs> it's an up and down team for sure. Yeah, um, we talked a little bit about you know Kalal Laborn um, has stepped in. As they've had, you know, injuries at the running back position, you know, he wasn't necessarily expected to be the number one guy, although I think everybody expected him to get a lot of carries. But obviously he's been just fantastic this year and really has been, you know, their whole offense at times. JMU has not given up 100 yards on the ground. Um, they've just been – Well, they <clears> did <throat> once well, against Texas State, but that was in garbage times. So to to in- an individual, I mean. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and like you said, barely to any teams – um, they're have completely shut down the run game for the most part this year. Even against a team, you know, like we saw Appalachian State last night against Georgia State, put up over 400 yards on the ground. They could not run the ball against JMU. They ran for 60 something, including eight in the second half. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it a similar story with Marshall? Will JMU be able to shut down their running game? I think so. I think you know they will. Because that's what JMU, even in, even in the, every game they've played, no matter what game they've played this year, granted they've won five of the six, that's been a consistent factor across the board. Because there's other things that happen in the game. Sometimes Todd Tail throws for six touchdowns. Sometimes he doesn't throw a touchdown pass or throws one touchdown pass. But the thing that's been consistent every week is the run, rushing defense and not allowing anything. And most of the time when, team run, when a team runs the ball against JMU, it's either going for zero yards or negative yards, like, I, there was a stat. It was like 80 or 90% of the carries go for zero or negative yards against JMU. And that's something that's been consistent. We've seen teams with good running backs struggle, App State being one of them. And you see teams with decent running backs struggle. So I think in a game with a Florida State transfer running back, it's probably would be that's where JMU wins the game right there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we, when you talk about that, JMU shut them down. I think what are their teams are getting like what, one – yard something they're per averaging carry. Like just over a yard of carry right now yeah <clears throat> which is kind of crazy to think about and that's even when you factor in no sacks last week because the sacks the negative rushes and stuff had you know, kind you. of that that factored into it a little bit you take those out even you know sack adjusted jamie's rushing defense has been incredible this year you know, obviously marshall's coming in looking at what jamie did last week or what Georgia Southern did last week. They, they rushed for 12 yards against JMU and still had no trouble moving the ball. Two in the second half. Yeah. Does Marshall kind of reevaluate their approach, or is it – did they try to just overpower JMU up front to continue to run the ball, which nobody has been able to do? I mean, I asked Torres Jones about that earlier this week, and he talked about, you know, teams – Teams will try to do that, but he also said they don't try to deviate from what they're good at. And, I mean, they're going to probably throw the ball a little bit more than than we're used to seeing Russell throw the ball. But there's a reason why Georgia Southern was good at throwing the ball is because they have a quarterback who the entire year has thrown probably, I think he leads the conference in passing yards, like 
Kyle Van Trees, he's averaging over 300 yards a game. And I don't think Henry Colondi is close to that. And I think that's probably the biggest difference in these two teams is if you have a quarterback that can throw for 300 yards, I think it's it's a long day for JMU's pass defense. But if you have a quarterback that can throw for two-something and they rely on the run, it might be a little bit different. Yeah, and um, you, you mentioned Henry Colombi, who is I, – I think even – even as the past couple of weeks have gone on, still going to be considered their number one quarterback, but it sounds like he won't be the only quarterback who plays on Saturday. He's dealt with some injuries. <clears throat> I think potentially, sounds like maybe, you know, potentially uh, concussion issues. Uh, I don't know for sure about that, but um, sounds like they're going to bring in another quarterback who gives them a little bit different look and kind of helps their running game out too, just with his carrying the ball. Um, you know, we talk about Todd Santeo being the dual threat, can do a little bit of both. and um, They're kind of going to try to bring that with two different guys. Yeah, they are. I mean, I think they've saw, they saw something similar at Arkansas State where they use a second quarterback for a play to pick up a first down. Um, they've seen it before. But, yeah, Cam Fancher is more of a running quarterback, doesn't really throw the ball. And then Henry Columbia is the opposite, throws the ball. He can run, but he doesn't run as much as, you know, Todd Santeo. Yeah. And, you know, Fancher got a little bit of experience last year, but they brought in Columbia – obviously to be the guy because um, they weren't totally sold on Fancher as a starter. Um, beyond like sort of the injuries and stuff, you know, they, they did say, you know, they liked what he did in the second half last week that he moved the ball a little bit. That's why they didn't bring Columbia back in the second half. Um, maybe he could have played. Is it a quarterback, I guess, controversy or battle or anything there right now, or is it still like Henry Columbia's team? I think it's Henry's Columbia's team. They did battle, though, over the summer, and Columbia beat him out for the job. I mean, Columbia wasn't there for full care for spring camp, I don't believe, and Fancher had all the first-team reps then, and he still beat him out. So I think that says something about what Henry Columbia is at quarterback. Yeah, though I think, you know, that was definitely the case going into the season. Does this say anything about where Marshall is with Henry Columbia, though, right now? Or are they as happy with him as maybe they expected to be? And, you know, especially – it doesn't seem like that long ago they're coming off a Notre Dame victory. You know, he's toast to the town and everything, and, you know, they're looking like they're off to a, a great season, and it's been a struggle since. Is the Thundering Herd nation still all on board with Henry Columbia? I guess that's the question. That I'm not sure. I mean, he's you, you mentioned that he's dealt with injury. You know, they, they've played two quarterbacks in a lot of games this year because of that, and that could be playing a factor. But I think, you know, He's a proven guy from Utah State to, to Texas Tech and now at, at Marshall. And so I think I think that, you know, he's a good quarterback. You can't overlook him for sure. Yeah, and, you know, Taurus Jones, like you said, um, he talked a little bit this week too about how Jamie has faced this before a similar situation. Norfolk State came in, similar situation where they had a quarterback who liked to run and they would bring him in for a series or two just to kind of mix things up. So Jamie's seen this. Obviously Marshall, you know, we have, we have direct evidence that Marshall's much better than Norfolk State. They played them. Uh, the scores from JMU's blowout of Norfolk State and Marshall's blowout of Norfolk State were pretty similar. So Marshall's a more talented team all the way across the board. But JMU has seen this kind of situation before. How much does that help them going into this one? I think it does. I think, you know, they've seen it. They saw it against Arkansas State as well. So I think it's not really a challenge because you know you're going to see Columbia more. <clears throat> then you will see Fancher, and I think that might help them with the preparation. You, you know one guy is going to be out there for a majority of the snaps. Yeah. <clears throat> and, I mean, we've seen this too. Is, you know, like, um, you know, JMU runs it with the RPO and stuff, and, you know, uh, App State ran it a little bit different. It's so much different where 
you don't know if he's running or passing really until he pulls the ball out yeah. as opposed to like you know what's happening basically when the guy comes onto the field um yeah I, I expect jmu's defense to be pretty well prepared for that um especially since you know kurt signetti comes into his press conference on tuesday basically much happier than he was the previous tuesday with where they were in practice and everything it sounds like uh the focus returned with a vengeance after the loss when they got back to harrisonburg yeah, I think they want to redeem themselves from that Georgia Southern loss. They, there's plenty of times where Jamie could have won the game, especially on that fourth and ten. But there's a lot of plays before that that they didn't make, and and I think you know they realize that and they don't want to have it happen again. Yeah, and we've talked over and over about how young the secondary is. A true freshman playing on that, um, maybe got picked on, exposed. I don't know. However you want to put it against Georgia Southern, is that just the kind of thing that happens when you play against a team that's going to throw the ball that much? that, you know, obviously they're going to complete some of them and, you know, at least one of them happened to be uh, the most crucial time um, on a 4th and 10 play. But is the confidence level still pretty high with those guys? And young guys they have all over the defense, really, um, coming off of that game where they gave up, you know, so many yards, you know, almost 600 yards passing. I think it is because I mean they've all made plays this year. Chauncey Logan, a true freshman corner, he's made the made pass breakups. You know you've got the two linebackers. They made a bunch, a bunch of plays this year. So I don't think their the confidence level is waned. I think they it's when you're playing a bunch of young guys, there's going to be a learning curve at some point in the year, and I think this is the point where they they, they find it. Yeah, um, we talked a little bit too about just the defense overall. You broke down that play with a fourth and ten against Georgia Southern. I know you. You, yeah. you told me how you, many times you watched it. You know, let, let's get your just kind of overall breakdown of just you know what you saw, how that like kind of ended up being because it wasn't entirely. It wasn't it, entirely it, a bad play from yeah. JMU. I mean, they, they what happened was you know Marshall's or not Marshall Georgia Southern's running the same play where you got the receivers run a slant at the at the first down marker, turn around, catch the ball. They did that a lot. Well, Jamie's play call on that 4th and 10 would have worked, but both linebackers went. I don't know if the play call was to send both li- both middle linebackers in, but they both went. Torres Jones tried to pull out at the last second to get to that guy, but he couldn't get there in time. So I think if you left one of those linebackers out and didn't send him, I think the play's made. It's, it's turnaround out. Yeah, and, you know, football, I guess, for decades has been called the game of inches. For JMU this season, it's really almost been like the game of like milliseconds. Where you know we're talking about that play where he didn't make that decision to drop back quite soon enough. We we talked earlier about you know App State similar situation where Jalen Walker read the play perfect instantly in the snap of a finger and was able to make that interception that you know kind of was the game sealer for JMU at the or. Not the game sealer; they were still behind. But at, at that point, po- at that point, like you're like, okay, Jim, is actually going to come back and win this thing. Um, so when you kind of evaluate the two plays in that regard, it does kind of and J- and Kurt Signetti basically says every week that anybody can beat anybody. It just kind of drive that point home. Yeah. That you know we're talking about just you know as fast as you can click a stopwatch, <laughs> the, the amount of time you have to make those decisions and end up making those plays and they make a huge difference uh not only within a game within the entire conference standings uh, everything's decided on those types of plays it kind of blows your mind when you stop and think about it 
a little bit. We focused a lot on defense because I guess, you know, it was the, the defense's biggest struggle of the season uh, with the number of yards they gave up, the number of points they gave up. Is there anything of concern or of note really with JMU's offense going into this one? They, they, you know, I mean, you take away the turnovers, they kind of had their normal game. They did. I mean, there was a few drives where they needed to move the ball down the field. They didn't. And that, I think that hurt them a little bit. You know, the defense would get the ball back for them, and then they couldn't do anything. They ended up punting. And I think, you know, another call, I don't know if there's a cause for concern, but a lot of Chris Thornton's catches came on bobbles. He was not really the cleanest catch. He made a lot of them. He did drop a few of them. And I think, you know, we talked to him after the game, and he was like, you just got to focus more and just watch the ball in. I think that was a big thing. Um, one of those bobbles resulted in an incomplete pass being called on the field and under review. I think if he doesn't bobble the ball on the immediate catch, it's catch. And Jamie gets a first down and keeps moving down the field. Um, but, you know, other than that, Reggie Brown had a big game. Career-high catches and yards in the first half alone. He had a big touchdown late in the game to get Jamie within three um, before they took the lead later in that, that quarter. But overall, toss and tail. Three interceptions. One of them, I will say, wasn't his fault. Threw it to Latrell Palmer on the on the sideline. Went off of his hands. Corners there makes the play, or linebacker. Someone's there makes the play, and I think that's kind of hard for the quarterback. You hit him in the hands. Your quarterback. It's your quarterback. You're expecting him to make yeah. the catch. Um, but you know the last one. I don't know where the ball was going, but they were trying to move the ball downfield quick, and he just threw it right at the corner and the end of the game. But you know overall, Tosin Sale still accounted for five touchdowns. <laughs> still accounted yeah. for over 500 yards of total offense alone by himself. So. Even though he had three turnovers by himself, he still got JMU back in the game. Yeah, that was you know kind of my next question. It was like, is there any concern about him bouncing back? And bouncing back is almost in quotes because, like you said, five touchdowns accounted for. He's still like one of the nation's leaders in that category. He's third and points yeah. responsible for behind yeah. CJ Stroud and Drake May, two guys that are in the Heisman conversation. Yeah, uh, you know he's still so, and his still overall touchdown to interception ratio for the season is incredible. Um, a huge turnaround from a year ago from him. He seems like a guy, you know, typical quarterback, um, you know, cool under pressure and, you know, able to kind of put things behind him and handle handle the stress. Um, any concern about him, like I said, in quotes, bouncing back from this one? No, I mean, he's an older guy. He's a six-year quarterback. He's been in this spot before. He, I think he's already moved on to Marshall and, and you know, Bouncing back from a game, you had three interceptions, but you also had five touchdowns, 600, 500 yards of total offense. I think, you know, of course, you, he wants to win the game, but at the same time, he did a lot to get them back in it. Yeah, and, and like we've mentioned before, if they make the fourth and ten stop, He's then, then we're talking about how he led the game-winning touchdown drive in the final minutes and instead. Um, so, yeah, tiny little things make uh, huge differences and change the entire perspective of, of the whole thing. Um, special teams, you know, unless you got anything else you want to add on the offensive side of the ball. No, we're good there. Yeah. I mean, Percy ran well, Percy. another 100-yard game, hit 3,000 for his career. Um, they were without Kalen Black, who was dressed, but he won't play. And he got a broken finger. Be back soon, either this week or after the bye. Yeah. They did have him listed as the uh, kick returner. Solomon Ben Horse is still out this week even um, though sammy malinagi has been taking the kicks yeah yeah the depth chart we, we could do a whole episode on how the, the depth chart doesn't mean a whole lot when they put it out on the depth chart the, the, hasn't changed in the last three weeks but there's been a lot of guys that have been out that yeah appear on the depth chart and 
from a coaching point of view, it makes sense. You don't want to tell the team, hey, we're missing X, Y, and Z yeah. until they don't dress. So makes sense. Yeah. But it will be interesting to see if they have Kalen Black at all this week um, because you know, Solomon Horse is not coming back anytime soon. I don't think we're uh, I don't think we're telling any secrets. You know, if anybody's seen him wheeling, yeah, I mean, wheeling himself around on a on a on a cart, or I'm sure people have seen him around campus and not looking like somebody who's going to play football anytime soon. Um, so that'll be interesting. But like you said, Latrell Palmer is playing well, and Percy is. Back to looking like yeah, looking like <laughs> the guy who people thought could be one of the best running backs in school history, and is one of the best running backs in school history at this point. If you look at the record books, um, yeah. So I think that's you know something for JMU to look forward to this week too is the ability to kind of just keep the ball out of Marshall's hands with yeah. that running game, uh, with the way Percy's running the ball right now. Um, special teams. Is it getting more concerning? They've had issues with the place kicking, which wasn't the problem this past Saturday. But um, punt block for a touchdown, something I don't remember seeing in a long time for JMU yeah, against JMU. Curtis Ignetti, after the game, talked about it. He was like, you know, there's some veteran guys on the punt block team that assumed the dude that they're in charge of blocking wasn't coming, so they just ran down the field, and guess what? He rushed. And so... Sam Clark had no, really no, no winning yeah. battle there. It's not on him. It's on the people in front of him trying to make sure he can get the kick off, and and there wasn't a lot of time for him to do it. And he, so I mean, he did what he could, but yeah, I mean, he didn't even have time to do anything about like you know he could recovery. Run away. He couldn't even try to like you know bat it out of the back of the end zone or anything. They were on it so fast, like it was yeah. Because I mean, in that situation, it. you almost want your punter just kick it out of the end zone and and take a safety at that point. But yeah. There was no time. He he's surrounded by like six Georgia Southern players, and was like the only thing he could do is try to get on the ball. But they're already there. Yeah, or, you know sometimes the punter can be the guy who gets to it after it's blocked, and yeah. then take the safety. And but that was not even an option in that point. You know he he had no chance to get into it. Um, but so you said it's basically just a a, a mental mistake, not a. It's a mental thing. Yeah. Signetti talked about. It. I think he went and talked to the punt unit and was like what happened because he said there's a lot of vendor guys on that unit that assumed that you know their rusher wasn't coming and they brought everybody yeah which is sort of surprising when you're kicking out of your own end zone you kind of <laughs> you kind of assume usually they're bringing expect them. you know they bring people but uh not the way it worked out it ended up being you know a pretty critical play when we're talking about a one touchdown game and like we said you know jmu took the lead late what could have been a game-winning touchdown and ends up uh yeah, you take that, that touchdown off. You take the punt return touchdown off. The punt block, I should say. JMU scores. They're up by what? I can't do math in my head. Eight? Yeah. And then it would force George Southern to not only get up to get a two-point conversion, which they did. So it probably would have been an overtime game at that point. Yeah. I mean, but it also just changes. It changes know, the rest of the game. But. Yeah. <laughs> but huge play in a one in a one-score game. Um. Before we go, I guess we've talked about all the on-field stuff. The crowd on Saturday, I don't. This might be like you know the the most anticipated home game Jamie's had certainly in the regular season yeah. that I can remember uh, being around here. Um, if it, with the exception of you know maybe the college game day games, yeah. but even those were more like about the. Uh, Pre-game. spectacle pregame yeah than the game itself um they're talking about you know potential 
record-breaking crowd. I don't know how many people they will actually let into the stadium um, when it comes to like student tickets and things like that. They they did sell their student tickets, eight thousand of them in I think forty five minutes. Yeah, um, just what kind of atmosphere are you expecting? I mean, I think it would have been off the charts had JV been coming in here undefeated, right. but it doesn't seem like it's died down too much. No, I don't think it's died down too much. I think people realize you know Georgia Southern was tight game. They didn't get blown out by any means. It could have been a blowout based on if you just look at Georgia Southern's offensive statistics. But I think it's gonna be a, a really big crowd, a, a rock a raucous crowd, and you know. We've heard the press box is going to be packed. So if the press box is going to be packed, I would assume the rest of the stadium is going to be packed. Yeah. Yeah, they told us, um, you know, inside baseball stuff, they told us, you know, there's extra radio crew coming that's going to be placed outdoors. Yeah. Uh, luckily for them, it sounds like the weather's going to be pretty good by kickoff. Um, yeah. I, I wonder, you know, they've had packed stadiums before. I wonder if the atmosphere itself, though, will be a little bit different with, you know, some expectations that they win, they're, you know, a fairly significant, you know, 13-point favorite. But, you know, just against the level of program they're playing, you know, there hasn't been a program with a history of success at the FBS level like Marshall yep. come to Bridgeport Stadium before. You know, everybody talks about wanting to get a Power 5 team in. Right now, this is the closest you've gotten. I mean, Marshall and, is probably one of the most storied college football programs in a while. Yeah, um, and you know, when you talk about the model for moving up, we've talked about App State before, probably because it's been more recently. But the transition with being able to bring in transfers, um, you know, having the scholarships available and stuff, might be closer mirroring what Marshall was able to do in the '90s. Did just, just without one key piece. Maybe one of the best wide receivers of all time, but you know, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, but you know, one of the best wide receivers of all time. But then, then they didn't have the eighty-five scholarships true. at that point. Um, but yeah, they were able to bring in some guys who were ready to play because because the, the rules were a little different. But yeah, I do think you know being able to bring in some of those guys the way the way the FC there's the one A to one double A transfer rules that are at that time compared to the transfer portal right now. Yeah. They filled some gaps before moving up the same way JMU did. And they won right away and were, you know, immediately one of the best teams in the MAC when they moved up. The same as JMU has proven to be in the Sun Belt this year. Um, JMU fans, close your ears, but Marshall did play in a ball game their first year of, of, yes. of 1A football. Yeah. Yeah. And won the MAC championship and, um, did things that JMU won't be able to do at the end of the season this year. But I think if JMU can continue where they're at, finish, you know, 10 and one, nine and two, they're going to be mentioned along with that Marshall team with the 2014 Georgia Southern team as some of the most successful to ever make this transition, uh, which I think is something, something to look for and, you know, look forward to and kind of hang your hat on if you're JMU this year, knowing you're not going to play in a bowl game, not going to, you know, you want that Sunbelt East Championship, you want the gaudy record, and you want those to be the things that you kind of hang your hang your season on right now. And if you want to win the Sunbelt East, you got to win this game on Saturday. You do. I do need to reach out to Sunbelt and see if JMU will actually be recognized as the East champion, if it is, in fact, that. Because I don't know if they will be. I don't know. I mean, they're not 
because they're not eligible for the title game. Yeah. So would technically the second place team be crowned champion? That is something I need to uh, reach out to somebody. Yeah, I, I believe I think I was told earlier. I you can double check on that, but I think I was told earlier that you know they finish first in the division and they're the division champs. They're just not playing in a championship game. It's it's similar to I guess if they were on um, probation or something yeah. like that. But um, but yes, I think you know if you you put a twenty twenty one or what year is it twenty twenty two. Jamie football team. The same talk as 2014 Georgia Southern and, you know, the 96 seven. Marshall, 6, 7, what I think it's 97. Yeah, 97. 97 Marshall team. I think that's that's something you want to be known for. And I think, you know, this could be Kurt Signetti's most successful year as a head coach in college football. Yeah, and if Jamie finishes first of the East, they'll find a way to uh, recognize that, I'm sure. If it doesn't say champs, maybe it'll say first place, something. They'll pull a UCF. Yeah. They'll do, they'll do something to recognize that achievement, I'm sure. Um, well, I think that'll just about wrap it up for us. We're going to head out to Bridgeport Stadium on Saturday with, um, sounds like, you know, well over 25,000 of the rest of you and should be a fun uh, electric atmosphere. Looking forward to that one. Um, in the meantime, you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. With me, as always, Noah Fleischman, your JMU beat writers at the paper, and thank you for listening.